Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right. Well, uh, as Renee just said, my name is Reed, and I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're just joining us, uh, we are in part two of our series, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. But uh, before we get started, uh, I did just want to point something out. The really observant people will notice this. And if you're watching online, because it's like zoomed in, you can see this. Um, I am not wearing my wedding ring, but my wife and I are good. Like, we're so good. Uh, Like, she was at the first service shouting me down, yes, do it, you know, like, so it was, it's great. We're, we're really good. Uh, actually this week I have like one of those, uh, silicone wedding rings, you know, because I want you to think that I work out. And, uh, and so I had one of those and as I was drying my hands off, it like rolled off. And then um, it was on the ground, and I didn't know it was on the ground, uh, but my three-year-old got it, and then he took it and just flushed it down the toilet. And so, uh, I know, so he just got it, flushed it right down the toilet, and uh, then I tried on my, like, I still have the metal one, um, and so I got the metal one, but apparently um, my hand has... uh, changed uh, in the past 13 years, right? And so I like got, and I was like, no, this is not going to work. And so, um, yeah, so that's why I'm not wearing that. Uh, we're great. So thanks for all your prayers and thoughts. And uh, me and wife are great. So uh, cool. So that's, that literally has nothing to do with today. I just knew somebody was going to be like, oh my gosh, like, is everything good? So all right, so as I said, we're in, uh, we're in a series yesterday, today, and forever, and, um, and we're talking about what Christians believe God is like. The whole point of this series is we're, we're talking about what Christians believe God is like and what that means for our lives. As we learned last week, when we talked about this, we said that what you think about when you think about God is actually a really big deal because it means so much more uh, for your life and for mine than just our personal beliefs, right? It actually becomes a filter through which we view uh, so many other things in our lives, right? What you think about uh, God, actually it has an impact on what you, how you see yourself. It has an impact on how you see your circumstances and situations that you go through in life. It impacts how you view others, how you treat others. It, it's a really, really big deal. And so we're gonna talk about it. That's what we're talking about in this series. What is God like? And last week uh, we talked about uh, one attribute and I told you guys this, we're certainly not gonna hit all the attributes of God in three weeks. So we're just gonna cover three. And so uh, last week we talked about this one right here, God's faithfulness. We talked about God's faithfulness and we said that he's trustworthy. Uh, he, he keeps his promises. If he says it, he's gonna do it. He doesn't fail, forsake or forget. He is faithful, right? And we said that uh, the reason why that's a good thing is when you know that God is faithful, then you live your life with more courage, more confidence and more peace, right? Knowing that he's going to be there with you through it all and he's gonna come through on the other side. And then we said, 
though, that there are moments in life that are uncertain. Uh, there are moments uh, and seasons where you feel like you're waiting and you're wondering. And in those moments where you feel like you're having trouble trusting in God's trustworthiness, uh, then God invites us to build our trust back up by checking his track record, by looking back in the past so that we can then have faith that he's going to be faithful in the future. His past provision is the best indicator of his future faithfulness. And now this week, you guys, we're going to continue uh, in the series by looking at another attribute of God that Christians uh, throughout history and throughout your Old and New Testament of your Bible, uh, people that have encountered God, had experiences with God, or spent personal time with Jesus, when they've, written, when they've sat down to reflect on who God is and what God is like, this is one of the attributes that you see pop up over and over and over again. And it's this right here. It's God's goodness. It's his goodness that God is not only trustworthy, that he's not only uh, somebody who's faithful, but he's also, he's good and he does good. He knows what's best. He does what's best and he has our best interest in mind. This is what believers for generations have said about God, that he is, he's good, right? The King David, he would, he would reflect and say, uh, hey, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then later, James, the brother of Jesus, in reflecting upon God and what he was like, he said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? He gives good things. He does good because he is good. If you grew up in church, which I recognize not everybody did grow up in church, but if you grew up in church and if your church was anything like the church that, uh, that my mom would bring us to, um, there, there was this little thing that people would do in church and it was like this little call and response. And, and at the time it felt really, really cheesy to me. I like, I gotta admit, you know, it's a little bumper stickery, you know what I mean? Like, but, um, but it would be the, the pastor or the choir director or your Sunday school teacher would get up front and they would go, God is good. Okay, yeah, all seven of you that grew up in church. And so, uh, yeah, the, the rest of you are like, dude, it's, it's no. Um, but, but yeah, so, so, so there's some, and they would, they would go, God is good. And then the people would say all the time. And then the, the preacher would say all the time. And they would say, God is good. There you go. Okay, yeah, more of us are getting in on it. So, um, yeah, those are the people who are like, wait, I want him to know I went to church. And so, it's all good. La at last service, everybody on the right, super spiritual. People on the left were like, no, we're not playing along. And so that's okay, you know. But uh, yeah, so, so you, would, you would have this call and response thing. And, and like I said, it seemed a little cheesy, but it, it was there to illustrate and to remind us of God's goodness in all circumstances, that God is good and that he does good all the time, right? And, and I gotta be honest with you, right? Like, like when things are good, that is easy to say and to believe and to testify with, you know what I mean? Like when, when things are good in your life, it's easy to say, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? Like, like ladies, when you get that front row parking spot at Target, you know what I'm talking about? You are testifying to his goodness, raising your Stanley cup in the air, like... <laughs> Yes, Lord, uh, you know, you're like, I know I dress athletic, but I don't do that. And so you're like not trying to walk very far. So you're just like, yo, this is amazing, right? God is good. Yes and amen. Or when you, when you get to flex your status and you get the upgrade, uh, like you're, you're there and you get moved from economy, like to first class, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you're like, yes, Lord, bye peasants. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, right? God is good. It's easy to believe, right? Like when you get the job, when, when the deal goes through, when, 
when your kid makes the team or, or when your kid succeeds in life, right? Like, like, like when, when, when you ask the question and they say yes, right? You're like, oh, yes. Like, it, it's amazing, right? When you, when you finally get that bonus, when you get the raise, when you finally get to go on that vacation you've been planning for and looking forward to, that's been long overdue. Like when things in life are good, it is easy to, to testify to that right there and to say along with the preacher, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good when things are good. But what about when things aren't so good? What about, what about when things in your life don't seem fair? They don't seem right. What about, what about when, what about when you lose your job? What about when you were expecting the bonus and it didn't come? What about when your parents divorced and you prayed to God that they would get back together and they didn't? What about when your heart has been shattered to a million pieces? Because they didn't say yes. What about, what about when your spouse betrays you? What about when you get the diagnosis? Or what about when the person that you love and you care about and you've prayed for passes? What about when you've asked God to heal, you've asked God to move, you've asked God to show up and everything feels silent? What about, what about when you've been asking God to take the struggle away, to take the temptation away and you're still struggling and it's been years? What about when you've been doing all the right things and you've been asking God for a breakthrough and you've got to watch somebody else who's been doing all the wrong things get the thing you've been praying for? Is God still good then? How can he be? How can God be good when things in our lives are not? It's a good question. It's a, it's a hard question, y'all. Like I was actually just telling somebody uh, this morning, I did not want to preach this message today. I wanted to wait for Andy to do it. You know what I mean? These are the ones where you're like, hey, Andy, you want to talk about that? You know? I wanted to wait until Andy was going to do it, but I knew we can't talk about these attributes of God and the goodness of God without confronting uh, the reality uh, that, that we believe in a God who is good and yet we live in a world that isn't always so good. And so this is a hard one to preach today. This will not be, I just want a disclaimer real quick. This will not be what uh, I love Pastor Craig Rochelle. He calls them sitcom sermons. This will not be a sitcom sermon. Y'all know what a sitcom sermon is, right? Sitcoms, they start, everybody's laughing. It's fun. You meet the people, they go through a problem. And then uh, throughout the show, 30 minutes with ads, you know what I'm saying? Like they then solve all the world's problems and there's laughter and yeah, at the end, right? Like that's a sitcom sermon. And most of the time, right, there's an appropriate place for sitcom sermons. And we like to have sitcom sermons where everybody just leaves high-fiving and feeling good, right? This will not be one of those. This is not a sitcom sermon. Today, 
I'm not going to be able to give you an emotionally satisfying answer to the question, how can God be good when life is hard? But it's important that we talk about it. It's important that we wrestle with it. It's important that we unpack this and that we deal with it and we confront it and we have the conversation about it because both of these things, as Christians, we believe both of these things to be true. God is good and life is hard. And so we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna unpack it a little bit today. And to guide us in our conversation, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look uh, at the gospel of John and we're gonna be in chapter 11 and the story that we're gonna be in, the reason why we're gonna be living in that story is because it is the story of some people that are wrestling with this very thing. They are in the middle of a mess and they are grappling and wrestling to, to hold on to those two things, that God is good and that their situation most definitely is not. And they're wrestling with how do I hold those two things? together. How can both of those things be true? Can both of those things be true? And if God's good, then how is he good in the middle of this? And so we're going to be in John chapter 11, and uh, I'm not going to give you a ton of setup. Uh, John was really good friends with Jesus. One of the best friends of Jesus spent time with Jesus, uh, watched him live, die, and then resurrect, and then spent his life telling other people about the time that he spent with Jesus and, and inviting them to follow Jesus as well. And this, in John chapter 11, is one of the stories that John would have traveled the world telling people. And then as an older man, he decided to write it down so that it could be passed on to generations beyond him. And so we're so grateful to have this story, but this is John chapter 11. It starts like this. And I'm literally, I'm just telling you guys, I'm going to read, we're going to read the whole thing, all of John chapter 11. You're going to be scholars at the end of this. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to go through the whole thing. I'm going to read a little bit and talk a little bit as we go. And so if you've got a Bible or you want to follow along, you can do that. But I'm going to be in John chapter 11 and I'm starting in verse one. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So they've got some history, right? These are people that Jesus knew and cared about. And you'll see that in a second. So the sisters, they sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, uh, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So John's sitting the scene and he's like, hey, there was this time where we were hanging out and we got word that Lazarus, someone who is a good friend of Jesus, who Jesus cared about, he was sick. And when Jesus got word, right, he heard and he heard about it. He got wind of it. And then it, he points out this other word that he loved. So here's these people and they're entering into a really difficult time. And you know, it's bad, you guys, because um, like you don't bring in Jesus into a sickness situation unless it's bad, right? Like, like you don't call on Jesus for the light work. You're like, I got the sniffles. Nah, Jesus, stay where you're at. You know what I'm saying? Like when it's bad and you know this in your own life, when it's bad, like you're not sending prayer requests because you had a headache. You know what I mean? Like, like you're sending prayer requests though when somebody's going and, and it's serious. And so you know it's serious because they're calling on Jesus and Jesus hears them and he loves them. What you need to know today in the middle of whatever you're going through, 
in the middle of whatever you're dealing with. You just need to hear this today. God hears you when you cry out to him and he loves you. He hears them and he loves them, but that's what's gonna make this next part really, really hard to digest because Jesus hears them, he loves them. He says, I didn't cause it, but I'm gonna use it. And it says, so when he heard them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed. He stayed where he was for two more days. Now that, that's hard to deal with because you would think, I would think, you guys, that if he hears them and he loves them, then he would go. Like he would go to them. And yet, here it says, when he heard that this person he loves is sick, it says he stayed. There is a difficult truth being taught in this passage. And I want to be sensitive because I got to tell it to you, but I want you to be able to receive it. And so hear me say this with all compassion, you guys, because I know some of y'all are in the middle of some hurt, but I just need you to hear this. What we're learning right here in this passage is that while Jesus hears us and he loves us, he does not promise to do everything we ask on our terms and on our timeline. If Jesus did do everything we asked on our terms and our timeline, do you know what that would make him? A genie. It would make him a genie. And what Jesus is showing us right here, what we're seeing in the person of Jesus is, Jesus is not our genie. He's God. And he hears us and he loves us, but he does not promise to do whatever we ask when we ask on our terms and on our timeline. And that is a hard truth to digest. That's hard for us to hear because we wanna believe that if he heard us and he loved us, he'd do it. And yet sometimes you guys, it's actually his goodness that requires him to say no or not yet. It's actually his very goodness that requires him to say no. Can you imagine if you got some of the things you prayed for back when you were 16, 18, when you were 25? Can you imagine if you got some of those things? It's actually his goodness that requires at times for him to say no or not yet. He is not our genie. He loves us. He hears us. But he does not always promise to act on our time and on our terms. That's a hard truth. And Jesus is teaching us that truth right here. He gets word that someone he loves is sick. He's heard the news, but he stays. Keeps going. So he waits a couple days and then he said to his disciples, he said, <clears throat> he said, let's go back to Judea. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. They're like, Jesus, last time we were there, they tried to kill you. And if they're trying to kill you, that means they're trying to kill us. Let's not do that, right? Like they were like, that does not sound great. They're like, hey, like we don't, we don't 
think that this is a good idea. Now, Jesus is going to answer them, and he answers them in the weird Jesus way that he sometimes does. Like, like Jesus' answer right here is the reason why some of you don't read the Bible, okay? Like, because you, you, you have a question, and then you go and read it, and you're like, what? Like, and uh, so I'm going to help us make sense of it. But they're like, hey, we don't think we should go back. It's dangerous. Last time you were there, you ruffled some feathers. And then uh, Jesus answers them, and he says, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. To which they're all like, what did he just say? Did he even hear what we just said? You know, like, Jesus, we're talking about you're gonna die and you're talking about light and dark and what? Like, like, what are you even saying right now? It's like a weird answer, right? And this is so Jesus to do, right? Let me break it down what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, hey, look, I'm only gonna be with you for a little bit. And I want you to see something. I'm trying to show you something because that's what light does. It reveals. And Jesus is going, I came to reveal some things about God to you. And I want you to see it. And I want you to see it because I'm not always going to be with you. And when I'm not here, things are going to feel dark. And I want you to remember in the dark what I showed you in the light. He says, that's what, that's what I want to do. And so he's like, so I'm going to go. And I would like for you to come with me because I want you to see what's about to happen because it's gonna help you to hold on when things get dark. So that's what Jesus is saying. After he said this, he went on to tell them. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now their response is priceless and it's why you should consider Christianity and the scriptures, the validity of the scriptures. Because uh, unlike other people that, that, that make their own religious texts, uh, these guys don't write themselves in as heroes and they don't try to hide their ignorance. They actually write in all of their confusion, all of their ignorance, all of their doubt, all of their misunderstandings, which makes it all the more credible, right? My, my wife, she listens to all kinds of cult podcasts and uh, like, which is hilarious. I'm like, cults and murders, right? She's like, yes. And so my wife listens to all these and, and she'll tell you every time she listens, she's like, any of those people that start their own religion, they always write themselves in as the one who had the enlightenment, right? They're the ones that had all the knowledge. And yet these guys, when they had the opportunity, they could have written themselves in as more knowledgeable and more heroic. And yet they leave in the parts where like, yeah, we didn't know what he was saying. You know what I mean? Like, which is great. That lends to its credibility. And so you should check it out. But I love their response. So Jesus says, Lazarus is asleep. Let's go wake him up. And then his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, then he'll get better. Like, you know, like, like you got to read it like, but let that man sleep, right? Like, so like, they're like, wait, what? Like, if he's asleep, he's going to be better, Jesus. Like, don't you know, like a nap makes you feel better, right? I know you're God and you don't need it, but like, hey, like we need naps. And so he's like, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. Now, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so then he told them plainly, because Jesus is like, no, okay, all right. And so... Jesus says that plainly, he says, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because even though I didn't cause it, he says, for your, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. He goes, even though I didn't cause it, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this to build faith. I'm going to use this uh, to grow you. I'm going to use this to stretch you. I'm going to use this to bring out something good. He says, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, well, Diddy, uh, he said, that's how I have to read it. I can't not do that. I'm so sorry. Um, 
So then Thomas, known as Didymus, he said to the rest of his disciples, and this is, again, hilarious that they leave this in here. All right, let's go so we can die with him. You know what I mean? Like, I guess if he's going to die, we're all going to die. You know, like, so he's pessimistic. I, I love it. Thomas gets a bad rap, y'all. Everybody knows doubting Thomas, you know what I mean? But like, like, like listen, I don't think he was really like doubting. Th- he's honest Thomas is what he is. He's honest, you know? He's honest about his assessment of the situation. And so he's looking at it and he's like, all right, I guess we're just, let's go die then, you know? Like, and so, so Thomas responds. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb Four days. Now, this is important. This is a detail that John includes. And the reason why he includes it is he wants you to know what Jesus is walking up to. He wants you to know the the scene that Jesus is walking up on. You see, in Jewish, uh, in in ancient Judaism, in their their historical context, uh, there was this belief at the time that there was like a three-day like grace period, like when somebody had died, that three days they gave it where they thought, okay, about three days, uh, the spirit might linger, you know what I mean? And I think this is probably just because they didn't have the same medical equipment that we do. And so I'm guessing that somewhere along the way, they probably buried some people that weren't dead, you know what I mean? Like, and they were like, oh, you were just your breathing was light and we buried you. And so they would give it like a three day period where they thought maybe this person might not be dead. But after three days, after three days, they were like, nah, it's over. Like, this is like done. This is beyond repair. They're not coming back from this. This is hopeless. And that's what John points out. He says, I want you to see what Jesus is walking up to. He says, we waited, we showed up, When we showed up, we found out it's past the three-day, like, grace period. It's been four days. This is hopeless. Literally, we are walking up to a hopeless situation. Nobody is there waiting, expecting Jesus to do anything except show up and cry with them. Nobody is waiting, expecting a resurrection. Nobody is waiting, expecting a miracle. Nobody is assuming anything good is going to come out of this. It's hopeless. Four days. Done. Now, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, it doesn't say why Mary stayed at home. Maybe she just didn't hear that Jesus was there because she's gonna come out later. But my guess is it's probably also she's just mad that Jesus didn't come the first time. And you're gonna see that right here, look. Martha runs out, Lord, she said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha walks out to see Jesus. The situation is hopeless. It's bad. There's a funeral going on. The wake is happening. Mourners are there. A lot of tears and they're there and Martha walks out to Jesus and you can feel it y'all. She goes, Jesus, where were you? Like if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have had to be this way. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have had to happen. If you'd have been here, I could be walking you to his bedside instead of to his graveside. If you'd have been here, where were you? What took you so long? What were you doing? 
I thought you loved us. If you'd have been here. You ever ask that? You ever feel that way? You ever think that? I have. You ever, you ever found yourself going, God, if you'd have been here, maybe things would have worked out. God, if you'd have shown up, maybe my marriage would have worked out. God, if you'd have shown up, I wouldn't be struggling like this. God, if you'd have shown up, maybe things could have gotten better. God, if you'd have shown up, maybe we would have left the hospital with them. God, if you'd have shown up, where were you? What were you thinking? Are you even watching? Are you even listening? You ever feel like that? I know I have. One that, a moment where I have shaken my fist at God, you guys, and I'll never forget. It still brings me to tears. I cry every week, but. (laughs) One that still, y'all, I can't get past. Like, still rattles me when I think about it emotionally. Was when I was in middle school, uh, my aunt, she died. Uh, she had had a long bout with cancer and, um, and she passed away. She was my godmother. And uh, she left behind a, a six-year-old boy. And, um, and y'all, that was, that was hard. But that wasn't the moment that rattled my faith because uh, we had time with that one, you know? When you got a little time to process and you're almost with hers, passing, it was almost like a relief to see that she was not in pain anymore, but she was at peace. So we had some time with that one, but I'll tell you what it did when she passed. It put the fear of the word cancer in my heart as a, as a young boy, because I thought that word meant a death sentence after what I saw. So fast forward year or two later, we're at my house and my mom has been getting some tests done and she's kind of been telling us a little bit about it, but we're young and we don't really know, like totally, we can't grasp it. We kind of get it. We know that she's getting, you know, had a biopsy and kind of stuff like that. We're home one day and we're playing video games and we're downstairs and there's people that are coming over the house. They're like bringing like stuff over and uh, phones ringing, doorbells ringing, people are coming over. And um, my mom comes downstairs and she said, boys, I gotta tell you something. And we're like, all right, tell us. She's like, I think you need to pause the game. And we're like, what? Like middle schoolers, we don't do that, you know? It's like, What? pause the game and she sits down and she proceeds to tell us she said boys I got cancer and uh, everything tunnel vision so you can't hear anything else and all you can think after watching your aunt go through what she just went through is this is a death sentence and I remember y'all I didn't say it there because I didn't want to say it in front of my mom 
but I just remember laying in, laying in bed and being so mad at God and asking exactly what Martha asked Jesus. Where were you? Where are you? What are you doing? My mom's like the best person I know. Like, she's like the only one in our family that likes going to church. I'm like, what? Like, what are you doing, God? Like, she gets up every day and like reads her Bible on this green chair and takes notes and prays. And I'm like, what? what? Why? How could you let this happen? If you'd have been there in that biopsy, this wouldn't be happening. What are you doing? I remember being so mad at God. I can feel exactly what Martha felt. That's how she's feeling, y'all. She's walking out. She's talking to Jesus. She's in the middle of a hopeless situation. And she looks at Jesus and she says, where were you? Why weren't you there? And she's trying to hold on to faith. That's what that last statement is. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, I'm trying to believe that you are who you say you are. I'm wondering why you weren't here, but I'm trying to believe that you are who you say you are. You are good. You are God, right? So she's trying to hold on to these two things. And she's struggling. She's trying to believe it though, which is good news. I love Martha's example and hopefully it gives you hope and encouragement today. You can have faith and doubt at the same time. You can have faith and you can ask questions and wonder why at the same time and your faith is not less than, there's not something wrong with you. If you from time to time have to go, God, I don't get it. If you have to confront God and go, where are you? Where were you? That's okay, he's big enough. You'll notice Jesus does not scold her when she confronts him and says, where were you? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will. I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. It's a funny exchange because Martha thinks that Jesus is giving her preacher talk. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like when somebody tries to give you a a theological answer to your emotional pain and all you want to do in that moment is punch them in the throat. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I'm hurting right now and you're trying to give me something theological. Like, and, and, and Christians, just remember this. Sometimes it is okay to say nothing. Sometimes it's okay to say nothing. As a matter of fact, sometimes the best thing you could do is not say anything because when people are hurting and they're in an emotional state of trauma and they're wounded and they're crying, what they don't need is the theological answer. What they need is your presence. And so it's okay for you to just sit with somebody and cry with them and to go, I don't know either. We can talk about it later if you want to know the theological ball. That's what Martha thinks Jesus is doing. He's giving her a preacher talk. She's like, yeah, Jesus, I know. I've got good theology. But thankfully, Jesus isn't giving her preacher talk. He is not giving her preacher talk right now. He's actually telling her, hey, I'm about to show you something. I'm about to do something in the midst of your pain that's gonna blow your mind. It's gonna grow your faith. I'm just telling you, like, I'm gonna show my goodness in the middle of your pain. So he's not giving her preacher talk or Christian platitudes. He says to her, 
He says, look, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I know you theologically believe in a resurrection and the life, but I'm just telling you right now, I am the resurrection and the life. There are seven I am statements in the gospel of John, whereby which Jesus reveals that he is not just a good teacher or a good preacher uh, or, or just a good person, but he is in fact a good God. And so he reveals his deity through these I am statements. And in this statement, he's telling her, hey, look, I know you're hurting right now, but I just want you to know in the middle of your pain that I am the resurrection of and the life. I have the power to forgive sins and my goodness is greater than the pain that you're currently experiencing. And so he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. He says, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Meaning not really. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God, who's come into the world. So it's interesting how she answers that question because it means that she sort of believes that. Because he says, do you believe this, that I'm the resurrection and the life? And she says, well, I don't know about all the resurrection and, and I, don't, I don't know about you know, people believing in you and dying but not dying and life after death and things like that. She said, I believe you. That's about as much as I could get right now. I believe you. I don't know what else I think about everything else, but I believe you. It's important to look at what Jesus is offering though. There's this little phrase that says, even though. The invitation of Jesus in this moment, in the middle of this lady's pain, he offers her, he says, you can put your faith in me. And the invitation though is to an even though faith. Do you guys see this? He says, even though they die. The invitation of Jesus is not to pain-free, problem-free life. That's not it. That was never his promise. That's called a fairy tale. And it was never on the table. But we got to get this, that Jesus offers us an even though faith, right? Not a fairy tale faith, an even though faith that says, even though because this world is broken by sin, you're going to experience pain and heartache and loss, even though you're going to go through some stuff and things won't always go your way. The faith that I'm offering you is an even though faith that even though you're going to go through these things, I'm going to show up for you. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be bigger than your pain and your problems. It's an even though faith. And y'all, we got to get that. Because if not, you will walk around believing that God didn't deliver on a promise he actually never made. Jesus is promising us an even though faith, not pain-free, not problem-free, but his faithfulness and his goodness in the middle of our pain. And he's promising us that when it comes to the pain and the problems that we face, that they will not be permanent and they will not have the final say in our story. So, after he, she had said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she finally gets up. She goes quickly to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, when they noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And she said the same thing that her sister said, which is, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. She's dealing with the same emotions. Now, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved 
in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, they said. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, he shows up. Mary now runs out. He's got both the sisters. He's got all the mourners. And and right there in the middle of the weeping and the crying, Jesus, even knowing what he's about to do and even knowing that he's got purpose and plans for this pain and this awful situation, Jesus sits with them and he weeps with them. If you're wondering where is God in the middle of my pain and in the middle of my problems, what we see and we learn from the example of Jesus is that when we're in pain and when we're in the middle of our problem, where is God? He's right there with us. He's present. His goodness is revealed in his presence in our pain. Pain and problems are not evidence of his absence. He is present with us. This is part of what makes him good. And so he sits and he weeps with them and he mourns with them and he is present with these grieving ladies. Jesus, once more, Deeply moved, he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it. And he said, take away the stone. This is the moment people have been waiting for. If you've read the story before, you know it's getting there. And so Jesus has promised from the very beginning of this, hey, I didn't cause it, but I am gonna use it. I'm gonna bring purpose out of this pain. I'm gonna do something with this painful, awful situation. I'm gonna use it for good and for God's glory. And this is the moment. He says, take the stone away. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. It's been four days. She's saying, Jesus, I don't think anything good is gonna come of this. I know you're good. I just don't think you're that good. And so she's going, she's going, look, like this is bad, right? The King James version reads, he stinketh, right? Like it's, this is not good. This is a bad situation. Jesus, I know you're good, but I, I, I just don't think you're that good. This is the hopeless one. This one's too big. I don't think anything good can come of this. Jesus, then Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? It's like, he's looking at her going, don't you know there's nothing too dead or too dirty that I can't deal with? Don't you know there's not a problem that's too big that I can't draw purpose out of it? Don't you know there's not a bad thing that you're going through or will go through that I can't work for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose? Don't you know? So they took a stone away. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays out loud for the sake of everybody listening. Sometimes that's the power of praying out loud. It's not for your sake. It don't make you more spiritual, but it's helpful. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. I bet they did. You know what I'm saying? You would too if you saw that. Now, the point of that story is not that we all, if we trust in Jesus, get a graveside resurrection. We don't all get the Lazarus moment. The point of that story 
is for us to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that by trusting in him, even though we go through things in this life, he's still gonna be good. He's still conquered sin and death. His goodness is still greater than our pain and our problems. That's the point of the story. It's not that we all get that same miracle. It's that he's good and life is hard. That's the truth. And when we can get that, when our theology, when our belief can expand to hold those two things to be true, we become unshakable. So God is good and life is hard and we see it right there in that story. But his goodness is not the absence of your pain. His goodness is not the absence of problems in this life. His goodness is revealed in that he can bring purpose out of our pain. His goodness is revealed in that he is present with us in our pain and our suffering and our problems. His goodness is revealed in that when it comes to our pain and suffering, it will not have the final say. It is not permanent. We know the end of the story and Jesus wins. And he comes back to wipe every tear where there will be no more mourning, no more hurting, no more death because he is the resurrection and the life. God is good. And all the time. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us and you care about us enough to be honest with us. You leave stories like this in the scripture to remind us that life is hard, but you're still good. Would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you grow us? to be able to hold those two things together and know that they're both true and they can coexist. You're good. Life is hard. This world is broken by sin, but praise be to you. You have overcome. You are the resurrection and the life. Help us to trust that. Help us to believe that. Give us the faith for it, to believe that you really are good all the time and all the time you're good. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.